What's up, everybody? Before this episode of the podcast, I want to let you know that we are now live on YouTube with video episodes of At the Elephants. So please head on over to YouTube, type in At the Elephants with Rob Morris, and subscribe now. You could even go watch this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to At The Elephants. I am your host, Rob Morris. So excited to have you on this Monday morning listening to the show. We have a fucking awesome guest for you today. I'm so excited. We are continuing uh, our mini-series on getting to know the cast and crew of Martin Sherman's Bent being performed in Brooklyn February 6th through 15th. Please get your tickets for that ASAP details in the text below or you know wherever the description is also there's a tremendous amount of content over on facebook so uh if you want to go watch this episode you can it's available over there uh it's also on youtube we're everywhere baby we're everywhere and you got to go see bent so all right plug part over let's talk about will bethman will's my guest today 2015 school of drama will bethman Amazing dude. Really, really sweet guy. Super funny. Very talented. He's one of those dudes where you really gotta, you feel like you gotta be careful because you don't want to be too fucking nice and get his head too big and everything because he's pretty cool. But then you remember, like, he's also a pretty humble dude and you don't really have to worry about that. So you can say nice shit about him. It's, you know, it's one of the best things. We had a really nice long chat. He originated, not originated originally, but, you know, uh, in 2015, when they staged Bent for the first time as part of Keys to the Kingdom, um, he was also in the lead role of Max, and uh, he returns to that role in the dead of winter in New York City, 2020. And um, it's pretty interesting. You know, he's coming off of being in San Diego, uh, working on Angels in America. We got into that a little bit, and uh, some other some other projects that kept him in San Diego for about a year, I think. So... Really a great episode with Will, and I think he's a great example of something that's come up over and over on this show, which is specifically about Bent, this this small series that we've been doing. We've been talking about how when you do a play about the Holocaust, you know, you can't ignore the fact that human beings use humor and lightheartedness and hope to try to get through these things. So as much as it's kind of an easy way out to, you know, just kind of make everything desperate and sad when you're working on one of these plays, uh, you know, you have to bring humor to it. You have to bring the full spectrum of humanity. And uh, that's one of the things that Will Bethman is very good at. You know, he's an excellent actor. He's, you know, give him a serious scene and and he'll knock it out of the park. But goddamn, is he funny super funny guy and and the full spectrum really happens max you know the main character in this play uh goes through quite a lot this whole play we've talked about kind of starts like a rom-com uh and then it goes into not very much like a rom-com so uh uh will is the the right guy to do it and i really hope you guys get a chance to see him do this uh we talk about you know playing the same part again which he also did in angels in america so it's a recent theme for him um, but yeah, I was very excited to talk to Will and, um, I really hope that this episode and thank you for listening, by the way, um, 
inspires you to go check it out because you're like, I got to go fucking see this dude. Um, that's how I feel about it. I'm bummed I can't see it. But you, if you live in the New York City area, you can go see it. So get your tickets now. Uh, bent2020.squarespace.com, I think it is. But double check me in the description below. Um, all right. Enough adieu. Uh, let's fucking get to it with Will Bethman. getting bullshit but now i you know have to make sure i'm available for the bullshit you know how it is um it's all bullshit robbie right you get me (laughs) i love that you get me it's so good to see you buddy nice to see you too how you doing man yeah it's been a minute a couple of years yeah at least everybody in this cast that's what's crazy about it right so you've been moving around quite a bit though right you you were in san diego for quite a while yeah we i went out there over a year ago for Angels in America. Right, at, at Signet. Signet, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then from that, my brother was getting married like two weeks after we were like that show closed. So I was like, oh, I'll just stick around in town. Somebody dropped out of another show. So I like stepped into that and then another audition came out of that and then another audition and then another audition. So right. I just, it's been a year now. That's crazy, man. That was kind of how it was when I went to uh, Atlanta for Georgia Shakespeare years ago. Nice. They, those smaller mid-markets, man. It's like if you if you can get yourself in, you know, it's they, they can be tight communities that are, that are kind of hard to crack sometimes. But once you do kind of crack it, it's like they're like, call Will. Like you, you get on a yes, short list is. of people, something happens, and it's, it's you, you figure out quickly why people, other than the fact that they may enjoy the town – enjoy those mid markets because there's it does feel like there's a little bit of security right once you kind of crack the scene oh it was totally it was it was uh, yes that tighter community is kind of what i fell in love with um and then once you're in there once they know you it's just like you want to go support all of the people who are in that cast and the other shows and then through that you're just already into the next show at the next theater that's how like everything literally happened i would just become friends with the next director or whatever and then they're like oh we're doing this show and i was like i'd love to do that show right keep housing me yeah it's i feel like as long as you're not in new york or la it's like kind of how it works in most places even dc is just small enough to kind of function that way from what i've heard dc has some amazing theater we absolutely we all stopped we during like fall break the last time we were doing bent actually um we all went up to dc mainly to go to the holocaust museum there right which we spent, well, we went out the night before, so we were all like hungover as hell. And then we did six hours straight of the Holocaust Museum, which we read every single thing in that and then like came back and then did the show the first time, which was like kind of how the show feels in general. It starts right. with a hangover and then you're like into the whole was there Was there thought into that particular process that almost sounds like brilliantly thought out of like, how can we go in feeling like shit? You know, because if we go into the Holocaust Museum a little too enthusiastic and like, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, it might give us the wrong kind of vibe. But you know what? If we go get wrecked and then in the morning yes. we all feel like we're going to throw up and then we kind of we promised ourselves we would go to this thing and that's why we came. And so like that's the vibe in which you're going into it. Mm-hmm. Was that on purpose? 
A little bit. At that time, I kind of just started. It's like, okay, what would Max do? Like, he would totally go out until 4 a.m., even though we have like an early morning tomorrow. Yeah, um, at some point. Yeah. And so from, but from that, we also, that's what got us. We saw as many shows at different theaters there. And that actually has a very similar vibe to San Diego. Mm, um, interesting. Yeah. So if you get to go down there, I recommend it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely one of the scenes that I want to spend some time in. Uh, uh, as far as Bent goes, you and Cal and Emma are really like the main through lines. And of course, Josh, but he's playing a different role. So, yeah. But you're the main through lines of, of picking it up where you kind of left it off, you know, working in the same roles as you were last time. And, you know, just help me out with understanding that. What's that like, man, to, to have such a big responsibility to carry such a show and then to walk away from it for as long as you have and to come back into it. Where, where's your brain on that? Um, strangely more comfortable this time, actually. Um, is that strange? It seems like it would be a little easier to kind of step back into the waters, but you know, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I I honestly thought like the first rehearsal, I was like, I think it's that memory of what it was like to do it the first time. I was like, Oh shit, here we go. Mm. But then like after the first read, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of, but, but the main part that's like changing is that Josh is in um, a different role now where he was, I spent the first half of the show with him last time and then he was out. Now right. I'm spending the second half with him and I'm like, it's cool relearning what that character is going to be because it's Josh's version of Horst. Is it hard not to see, uh, it's Rudy, right, was the first part that he played. So is it hard not to see him, you know, it's like you arrive in the second half of the play and you're like, wait, is that, I think are, I, you know what I mean, guy? just a little bit for you because you're, you're specifically seeing it through your own eyes and it's like now you have to see him in this totally different role. Is that weird? It works because Max gets so fucked up. He's a, right. he's a fucked up dude. Um, already and then all this shit happens and I think what we've been kind of playing with is there is like a mixed he starts mixing people together and it's not about really who the person is it's more about like what that person is to Max yeah and what that security of having someone in this situation means right and we for sure do that you know just hearing you say that now I'm thinking like man we definitely do that sometimes as people where you know it feels insensitive but we get almost a, a little more focused on what is the role in our life and is it filled by a person period and then we start yeah. scrounging around for like all right who's available to be my caretaker who's available to be my protector who's mm -hmm. who's my muse you know it's like and so I think this play actually represents that dichotomy like really well and how we deal with that which is like especially in moments of tragedy and desperation and you know we're grasping for those things that you know maybe even pillars of our own personality that aren't super strong that we're like you know oh well you are you have a lot of self-esteem you really you know have a lot of focus on positivity so I'm gonna hold on tight to you so I can kind of right. grab a hold of that and have some for myself and, and and Max definitely for sure has that journey in a myriad of different you know scenarios yeah. and with different people uh, what is it like for you to take the time away from the role? Five years is a substantial amount of time, especially, you know, where we are in our lives, right? Your 20s and 30s have so much evolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
how old is Max in the play? Technically, in the script, he's 32. Right. So not like a gigantic leap away, of course. You're not playing something out of uh, out of your zone. You know what I mean? Right. But, but what has it been like for you to take this five years away and grow up for five years and be an adult for five more years and all that? Like, how, what, what does that give you to bring back to the part? Or not grow up for five yeah, years. Yeah, or not, depending um, on how it's gone for you. <laughs> I, I apologize for being so presumptive to think that you've evolved or grown in any way. I that was unfair yeah, was like, of me. Thank you. Back there, I was like, calm down, calm down. Um, <laughs> I'm so mature now. Um, honestly, it's the last time we were rehearsing under we were rehearsing under such like intense conditions we were doing it at like the end of the day it was like 11 o'clock at night when we get into that studio and like start moving rocks for hours right um and having this time away i've gotten lucky enough both of like my senior year like roles that i loved i've gotten to redo this past year oh wow Lewis for angels in america in san diego which with alex um so it was the same lewis and prior that we got to do again wow and then now this it, it's kind of wild and making me re rethink about like my senior year and where you are from right now as an actor as to where you were um i like to think i've improved a ton as an actor i think i've chilled out a lot more interesting like in process or just in your personality personality because i work i'm like a workhorse i believe in like just hardcore go 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 right and it, now the last i haven't the last year when you don't really stop working from show to show you just you kind of have to like it i guess it gets easier that's a hard way to say the dude bent is easy but it's like it's it's not as uh difficult it's coming easier you can just kind of get out of your own way more right absolutely it's it's not something that many actors get a chance to do, you know? I mean, and and so quickly, I would say, too. Because sometimes, you know, you'll read about somebody, like, revisiting a role, like, 20 years later that they iconically performed. And, like, maybe they're not even age-appropriate anymore. But we're like, we really want to see Ted Neely be Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, he, he crushes it. Let's bring him out one more time, even though he's, like, a 60-year-old Jesus. Like, we'll just, you know. And that's a little different, right? Because there is this kind of um, expectation for that. But, you know, you did bent originally at the RJR screening room in North Carolina, and it's like the people who saw it saw it. But it wasn't this thing that everybody's, like, familiar with. Are you taking any new approaches to the role? Is there anything that you're coming at a little differently that's like, you know what, it's kind of good people didn't see that first one just because this is the new... You know what I mean? Just because it's like, this is the way I yes. want to kind of do it. And I it's a clean slate. And that's the cool thing about theater as opposed to reprising like a film role or a TV role. It's like you can't go watch the first one. I don't think unless you guys have some recording of it that's up somewhere. OK. All right. <laughs> so we won't tell anybody. But no, but seriously, you know, it's it's um, you kind of get a clean slate, even though you're not coming from a clean slate. Does that make any sense? Yes, absolutely. It. um it's 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 a lot of freedom and i think i actually take pride in the fact that it's not going to be i don't want it to be the same right i don't 
I, I hadn't read the script in five years. Mm-hmm. So I picked the script back up. I got a new ver like a clean version without all of my notes and everything. I like I didn't want to look at that. Oh wow, okay. So you fully buried your your work for the first yep. show and just started yep. clean as if someone were hiring you for a brand new play. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's um, brilliant, man. Yeah, and you know what you know. Like this just there's immediate parts of the show that start coming up and you're reading it and you're just immediately your body starts going to those places and you're like, Okay, it's there. So right. that's nice. That part of the work is done. But I think I have a lot more sympathy for my character this right. time around. And I'm older. I know I know more, whether that's, you know, I've been out in the world now. Um, and I think that that does just give you more tools to interpret a person with. Like you understand where they're going and why they're doing that. Even if it's not the nicest thing in the world, you're like, no, I get it. Right. That's one of the things that I think, you know, we often, when we're at school, right, we want to try to understand these perspectives that are beyond our station. You know what I mean? We like, we do our best, but there are such limits to like, you know, trying to understand what it's like to lose someone in a way that maybe you haven't lost somebody or to, you know, be considering like your parents getting old of old age. Like, you know, there's just certain things that until it happens to you in your face, there's really no way to supplement the feelings of that. And so you're getting to soak it up, um, you know, at, at this different station, which I love. But the thing that's really cool about pushing ourselves early, you know, I, I brought it up uh, with somebody else, asking a bunch of 22-year-olds to do August Osage County, <laughs> which is all about dying of old age and your parents dying of old age. It seems which- like... Go ahead. Was really good. That's kind of my point, which is like it was, it was really great. It was remarkably watchable for mm-hmm. it being a bunch of people who truthfully in a real sense cannot begin to understand what the fuck they're talking about. Right. Like they just can't. <laughs> and yet they got to the root somehow the core of what was going on and were we're trying to really wrap their brain. Like, do they have any idea what it's like to be married to someone for multiple decades? No. But can they find those substitutions that then communicate the overall themes of that show to us? Apparently so. Yes. And so I think it's a, an interesting thing, right? Because it's like, are you going to land close to the center of the bullseye on playing that kind of part or portraying someone in the Holocaust? There's limits to that. But pushing yourself early to try to get it, to mm-hmm. empathize, to rationalize our behavior, like it, it pushes you in a way that, you know, just playing 22 year olds when you're 22 doesn't. There's this was a big thing. I remember them talking to us about this at school, how it was like people would get frustrated when they got given all the like character roles or the sure. old people parts in shows. And it was like, I remember feeling like so happy every time I got a role that was like weird because I got to like mess up in school. I got to do all the weird shit and like look like an idiot when it didn't really matter. Exactly you know? right. Um, because once you get out, you're only going to be playing parts that you look like and you fit. You right. know. And don't you feel like it gave you in a weird way like – an uptick in quality because you were able to be like, no, seriously, because you were like, like who gives a shit? 
Like, you know what I mean? A little bit. Like, in, in a good way. Not in a, like, I don't care, I'm not working hard. But if nobody sees this thing in the RJR screening room, okay. Like, you okay. know, it's, 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 our, it's our gym. It's our practice space. It's, it's the place where you can make those mistakes while still trying to fully realize a production. Like, mm-hmm. mistakes not just in a rehearsal, but, no, let's stage this fucking thing. But let's, we're staging it in a place and with a certain community that's kind of insular. So we're still getting the, the freedom to fail and the freedom to fail outside of what we would be allowed to do in a professional setting. Yeah. And the most, I think the most comforting thing, even on top of that, at least in these circumstances is I've now gotten to redo the parts that I fit, like again, professionally and get paid for them, which is like the thing I'm like money. Um, so it's never, I don't know, you just do the best that you can with what those tools and your understanding that you have in that moment. Right. And let it go. And then it might happen again. You might get another chance at it. It is pretty rare, though. Like, you, the fact that you've already in this short period got to redo two of your, you know what I mean? Like, how many other, I, I can't even think off the top of my head of people who've done that. Right? Just Alex with me. and Yeah. Now, and angels, yeah, no. It's a very specific experience, I'd imagine. Do you think? Do you see yourself doing this show again in like ten years, when you're closer to the age? Um, ask. I feel like that's a question to ask me again after this one. No, that's I, a great I, answer. I genuinely don't know. See um, how you get through doing it again, because man, <laughs> we've talked about it already. It is not like you do this just for like you know what it'd be fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you know, let's just. I know, I know, you know, maybe we don't need to do this play right now, but it'll just be fun. Like, it is not in that category at all. It is a play you do because you feel like you must. And um, so let's get to that a little bit. What is the why here, why now for you on this play? Like, maybe it's tied into why you did it in the first place. Um, maybe it's not. Maybe it's unrelated. But give me a little bit of that. Like, why do this play now, you know, at the theater you're doing it in, in 2020, blah, 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 blah. Um, I think initially the like major, this show, I think for everybody involved was, I don't think we knew that it was going to be what it was by the time it like was happening. And at school we only had, I think it was like one weekend that we could actually do it. Um, so by the time it was just over, it was just like, what was that? Right. And it was the first time I've ever been in a show that it genuinely, the ego, it felt like the ego was like out of it Hmm. where it wasn't about how did we look? How did we do? How was this perceived? It was just genuinely like it finished and we were like, that needed to be done. Right. Somebody's story who so many people were lost that their stories will not ever be told. But at least in this way, you can kind of tell all of their stories. Right. Um, And that was a big thing I would do before like each show where it was just like, I would pause and just be like, Oh God, this is, no, do it. (laughs) It was was like, it was just like, I would take a moment and just be like, whoever needs their story told, you know, just like, this is for you. And wow. like, it wasn't about, I don't know. It wasn't about the show. It wasn't about putting on a show. It was like right. telling the truth and the story. Isn't it that amazing? Was a, go ahead. 
this put me on this um this reminds me of a thing at the holocaust museum in dc yeah so we it's kind of a negative thing but i read every single every single thing in that museum and i it was i believe it was under six mentions six hours walking and reading and it was only like it was like under six things that were actually about homosexuals and the Holocaust. And I was just like, it just put this like hurt in me. Yeah. Um, And then I knew once they were actually released from the concentration camps, a lot of homosexuals were actually put back into prisons. Right. So it was like that. It was huge to see before we did this show. Right. It's what made me. And then after the show, I after college, I went, I had an opportunity to be in Germany and we were deciding like where we wanted to go in Germany. And it was between Berlin and Munich and Dachau, where the show takes place, is outside of Munich. So I like altered our vacation to go to Munich and we went to Dachau. So I've gotten to actually see the camp. And so now I have that knowledge going into it, too. It's like yeah. I've actually been there. It's like, OK. Did you know. did you kind of sort out the when you were there where you're like I think this is where this happens I'm deciding that this is part of that look that's probably where something like that would have taken place were you playing that game? Yes, uh, it was pretty hard not to. It was like um, right. a lot of the buildings are gone, uh, like the barracks, but there's still like the giant rectangles like where they were. The yards, uh, yeah. They oh, one of the biggest little spoilers for the show, but you know um, they had this. Art, it was an artist made this giant sculpture um, and it's at the front of the camp and we were just like looking at it for a while and then like you start to kind of realize what it is and it's it's this huge thing and it's actually bodies on the fences on the electric fences and that's obviously from the show right, you're just sure. like everything just was it was an experience. So you're I, definitely I, coming into this production with a completely different perspective as far as it being so much more deep and filled out. Yeah. You, I've seen it. You right. know, I've seen it. I've been there. So now it's like, fuck. <laughs> it's real. It's, it's crazy to me that, you know, one of the things that we definitely must give credence to is how seriously it impacts a culture and a society to have such a large portion of uh, their people massacred and uh, you know oppressed in that way but what's even grosser and dirtier and somehow I don't it's it's terrible to compare so I'm not even going to but to 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 make someone invisible at the same time which is really what you're talking about with what you found in the museum, right? And 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 the point of Bent is to say there were other people involved in this. You know, this was a diverse genocide and revolution that took place. It was not simply this one ethical, uh, uh, sorry, ethnic group that was uh, persecuted. And honestly, it's one of the reasons I love the play, but it's also... One of the things I learned from the play, because I certainly knew that that was an element. I mean, you know, but but when it's taught to you in a conventional public education sense is all I can speak from. 
that's really not a huge part of it. We don't really talk about that. We we don't talk we don't talk about anybody who was persecuted during the Holocaust that wasn't Jewish. Almost at all. It was like I, a footnote in your history book might be like, oh, and by the way, if you weren't white, that was a problem. And if you weren't straight, that was a problem. And if they thought maybe you weren't either of those things, that was a fucking problem. Like if you spoke out against, you know, if, if everything was great and you fit all the categories of who you're supposed to be for the new pure Germany, but you are not on board with what they're doing, you're fucking out. Like, right. yeah. It, and so speaking really just to echo what you're saying, which is to shed that light and to say, hey, there were more people involved in this than you realize. Here is one and maybe even a, a few of the stories that you have not heard. Um, that to me feels like why this play is always worth doing it pretty much any time. And that's one of the things I think it's going to make it timeless. Yeah. I, I, what you just said about the textbook thing, I genuinely on the first time we did this, I did not know. I didn't know that homosexuals were persecuted. Right? I did not know. And I, and I was just like, that's how might you wild. That's wild. I do, How do I not know that? Right. Like I, Maybe I'm an idiot, but I didn't. I wasn't taught it. No, so. it's it's definitely an you know an a group ignorance factor. It's not anyone you know. People fought hard even after this all took place, and it was all remedied as best it could be to even keep those parts of the stories quiet. And that's what I mean when I say like it's so much more gross and offensive. Not just to persecute, not just to commit genocide, not just to murder these people and round them up and, and, and capture them, but to then squelch their story in the grand scheme of all of this horrible stuff that's happening. But to say like, eh, but these people are a footnote. You know, this this particular group that we massacred, they, uh, you know, also whatever asterisk, you know, a footnote uh, to the whole thing an afterthought, really. And it's honestly, it's kind of crazy. Bent is one of the only pieces of intellectual property that covers. You know what I mean? Why are there not more television shows, films, uh, books? I mean, I'm sure there are plenty that I haven't engaged with, but not that if and even Bent, not a huge part of our mainstream culture. You know, they made a movie in 97 that most people have not seen because for whatever reason, it didn't pop. And uh, so that so i was in i knew i was doing this for a little while um and just talking like talking about it and i was in san diego and just like get, coming up like where are you going next what are you doing right of course so many people were like bent oh and it was like i i looked it up the last time it had been done like anywhere it was like maybe more than 10 years ago at like one small theater somewhere it was so like damn okay and I get, I get why it's tough, but at the same time, the show is, and this is something we've working on it again. We're like, oh right, the show is funny, the show's fun, the show is like mm, a large portion of it. You're left with a feeling of like, oh god, but like overall, doing it. I remember starting the reading, and we were like, no, this is supposed to be. This is like fun and funny you don't know it's the holocaust they don't know it's this did not have a name yet exactly right they believe they were getting out his whole thing and it's like and that's what you have to do it like every single second of the whole thing you're like we're gonna get out tomorrow we're gonna everything's gonna be fine right that was a big thing emma said to us before like every show too she'd be like everything's going to be fine everything's going to be okay everything's going to work out right believe that 
And we're like, yep. It's a huge part of the the culture in this, and uh, we've talked about this with some of the other folks, which I, I love this about the play, which is a lot of times when we revisit or um, try to restage or experience historical pieces, right, especially if they take place in a time of great tragedy, uh, of, of great oppression, of desperation amongst the characters, when you're seeing that happen at such a you know large scale, the Civil War, uh, you know, these these, you know, we did Harper's Ferry where it's just like, man, you know, one John Brown's Harper's Ferry story is so dramatic. Now, to be fair, the version that we did is a great example of the contrast of what I'm talking about with Bent, which is a lot of times we present these stories and we we imagine everybody extremely seriously and solemn and dark and it's like oh Maggie Mae we've got to do this thing and it's all very bold and we imagine forefathers and all this stuff and we forget sometimes because we want to paint the picture in so few colors that people were people they had senses of humor people made inappropriate jokes you know it's like they it's not some uh you know random unrelated thing that Stephen Colbert has to get on every night and make jokes about kids in cages like we as a society we make these jokes we we have humor we we have optimism we believe like that th this terrible thing will not last you know inherently and bent is so good at showing those colors and saying look these people found a way to deal with this as best they possibly could you know, they they made jokes. They were lighthearted. They were optimistic, you know, and that's one of the reasons, again, why I think it has this timeless nature, because it reminds us that whether it's the 30s or the 1860s or the 1770s or whatever it is that we're going through as a people, people were still people. Yep. I, I don't think there's. It's pretty impressive how much I mean, it was only written what, like 79. It was on Broadway, but like it's so modern feeling it doesn't know it does doesn't feel old it's not old it's like no this can and hopefully it doesn't will happen again it's like this is just normal and that's what it helps it's not you can't think about it like god that would be miserable if you go through the whole show just like no oh, this is yeah. the holocaust it's like no this is life and they're surviving and they're doing okay everything's fine until it's not but then it's fine again you find another way to be fine right keep going surviving constantly that's the whole and that's his whole thing max is a survivor every scene he, he learns something there's right. one thing you see he learns and then the next scene he is applying that that's why he survives 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 yeah it's it's and and the other thing is like he has these great anti-hero moments right where you're like no dude don't don't you're our hero please please do the right thing and he's but then you you what's great in the audience of that play though is in those moments when he does make the choice that you maybe think you wouldn't have made that's the shitty part that we want to do as people in 2020 go i would have done this fuck you uh but more importantly like maybe it's not the decision you think he should make as an audience member you definitely have the sensibility of like but man what the fuck you know but those, <laughs> you know? those decisions are what keeps him alive those decisions right. are the only reason he makes it as far as he does um that's always oh, people in the audience this is okay so this is uh, uh, this is tying back to angels in america again please 
Lewis is people hate him and it's my it's kind of become like one of my favorite things now is to play people play characters that are just disliked right and because then I know it's like if at the end of the show you can make that audience go well yeah I don't like it but right I get it and when you play it. those parts, you find out very fucking quickly. I mean, I think one of the first times I asked that question, you know, it feels such day one stuff, but it was such an early question in acting with uh, Caroline Kava. I was like, what do you do if he's a dick? Like, what do you <laughs> like? You know what I mean? Like, how do I like if he's just despicable and and, and I just I'm having trouble even understanding why? Why? Why is this character I'm playing doing these shitty things? And she said very simply to me, like, you always have to be an advocate for your character. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, even in the rehearsal space, when you're breaking down the play and you're talking to the other actors and the director about, like, what do I do? Where do I fit into this? Who am I? You go to bat for that fucking guy, no matter yep. who he is, because... I'm hoping she's the one that said this to me, so I'm quoting it correctly, but she was like, everybody thinks they're the good guy. You know, and she's not the first or last person to say that sentiment, but I, I loved that lesson, and it stuck with me, obviously, where I was like, it, it, but that's also how I engage in empathy in real life. You know, I was just talking to somebody the other day about uh, working with Sean Spicer on Dancing with the Stars. I'm like, do I agree with everything that guy said? No, I do not. But... I am able to consider that that guy thinks he's doing the right thing and where he's coming from and trying to accomplish that right thing may not be from a shitty place. Like maybe, believe it or not, if I can't understand it, the actions that this character is taking, the choices that they're making, character or person, is based on, in their minds, they're trying to do the right thing for real. And as despicable as it can seem to us, there is almost always like even if it's the right thing for them and not someone else and that's the hard thing for us to understand it's like but why couldn't you just consider these other people it's like well they operate from taking care of themselves self-preservation like what we're talking about now and and understanding that even the people who we see as the biggest villains they think they're the hero yeah it's it is my favorite thing and what you just said about going to bat, it's like every show that I have been in where it's, I've been the dick. Right. I've always, maybe I, I guess I did learn that at school. I don't know like where, but maybe it was Caroline, but it was like, let's give her credit. She's not listening. Yeah. Thanks Caroline. Um, every time, every single time I've had a like bad character, it is, I fight, I fight with people. And it's like, then they try to talk to you like with the context of the show. And I'm like, no, that's not how I'm talking to you. I'm not, not my job to know like do the whole what does it mean it's like no i'm this is my person this is what this means i'm doing this because of this how do you not understand me how do you not like look at this it's easy to hate certain characters it's easy and to me like when people would come up and be like oh i hated you it's like okay i'm sorry that that's all you 
all right. <laughs> right. That's but then it, at the same time, you, you, you then immediately understand why some actors are like, I'm just going to stay in character the whole time we're working on this. Because if I, if, if, if I'm Daniel Day Lewis and I'm in There Will Be Blood and it's like breaking away from that guy and having to be both Daniel Day Lewis and that dude is like too much to negotiate with all these fucking people every day. So you know what? In order to purely advocate for my guy and make sure that I'm batting for this dude every time I show up every day, I'm just going to stay that guy. And then when someone comes up to me and they're like, oh, man, that was crazy. I'll be like, you're fucking right. It was crazy. You know, it's like I'm just going to stay in that and commit fully. It seems ludicrous until you start thinking about stuff like that where you're like, man, it really makes sense because it allows you this um, focus on what you're trying to be fair about. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yes, I, that's, that's, that's that whole method conversation, which is like, sure. I don't, I would never describe, I would never just like use the words. It was like, it would never be method. But then I like, I always look at my life because when you're doing this, your life is kind of based around, I like it comes in segments of like, what show was I in at that time? It's like, that's that phase of my life. I always kind of joke when, when I'm in like a heavy dark show Mm -hmm. my real life is fantastic because it's just i'm getting it's all like there in that room and then i leave and i'm like this is not that bad yeah and then every every time i'm in a comedy i'm like my life's a shit show and i'm like i just can't stand anything it's like why aren't you as funny as like right being a stage isn't it like especially that's so funny because it's especially true obviously if you want to feel better about your life go work on a holocaust play but also (laughs) but also you work on a comedy and then you walk away and you're like nobody yeah nobody's fucking funny are you guys even trying to entertain me with your dialogue because this is some mundane shit like it is weird how it reprograms you i start talking i talk you talk different you i always talk like how i'm in a show yeah, it, no, it, I'm like, that way starts, too. It's a language because the language, if it's good writing, it's like it flows a certain way. And comedy has like a specific rapport where it's like, I'll, I'll start. I was dating. Who was I dating? I'm not going to say who I was dating. Um, I was in a, I was like, I got home from rehearsal and like, I basically started a fight, but it was to be quippy and like, I just kept zinging like one liners. And it was like, they finally like, was like, why are you talking like that? They and I was like, like, oh shit, no, right. you're right. That I'm sorry. Yeah, I just walked in back from rehearsal and was like, zip, 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 zip. I'm the same I'm- way, man. I I remember the first time I worked on a Tennessee Williams play for an extended period of time, and man, did my speech slow down and get a little bit more colorful. That'd Start calling wrong. people darling and honey lamb and things like that, and you're just like. People are like, why are you doing this? You're so strange. And you're like, you don't understand how much joy this is bringing me right now to be in this world while not in that rehearsal space because I feel like I figured some shit out. That's what I think it is. I think your brain clicks into the style. And once you click in, which is not easy to do, you kind of don't want to leave. Even though you're done rehearsing and you don't want to rehearse anymore, but you're like, but I'm living in this world and this is the world I'm in and I'm just going to... And maybe maybe a little bit of it is insecurity because you're like, maybe if I let go, it won't come back. But I I totally get what you're saying. That happens to me for sure, especially with language. Yeah, there's 
and like I think it comes in the phase of like what show you're in, what show you're right. working on. It's just you're in a world and you're thinking in that mode. I can't imagine the people who aren't actors and like talking to actors through different shows and time periods because it's just like you're dealing with like different people. And we're not like split personalities or anything, but it's like you have to think different. Your job is to like be a different person, right. think it's a different way. So bless the people who deal with us, I guess. Right. <laughs> do you think it's um do you think it's helpful in contrast? You're like, I gotta I gotta descend into this, you know, dark, cold world that you've gone from San Diego to fucking New York City in the winter. Boy. <laughs> like I, it is legitimately my world is darker and colder. So that helps. Everything about it, 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 it Kira, Kira made the joke too. She like posted it on her Instagram. She's like, thank you. She like thanked me for some award thing. And then she was like, thanks for giving all that up to come back in the dead of winter to do a Holocaust play. And I was like, thanks, thanks. Um, I don't know. I try to go stand in the sun every now and then and like photosynthesize the like joy. Um, but like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted by the time it like, like today. I knew I was coming to talk to you and I was like, okay, like, fuck up, fuck up. But I was like counting rocks and all for hours today, just like making sure it, it just rocks, rocks, rocks. So you're just like, I was like walking over here, just like, okay. Right. <laughs> Get back to Will. Like, Will is now, Max is done moving rocks. It would have been honestly equally as interesting, but definitely strange to have this interview be like, hey, what's up, man? I fucking god it's been a long day i'm really excited about the play i can't i gotta go <laughs> like and i would have been like hey this is where he's at folks go see the show this is mariah mariah the, our stage manager joked about this she was like i would see you around campus the first time and you were just like at all times like shuffling places and so i'm like trying to be a little conscious of that sure i'm also like yeah no never mind <laughs> <laughs> It's all good, dude. I'm really excited that you get to do this play again. Um, I'm sure the next couple years is just going to be a continued saga of you revisiting roles. Get you your oh. first brand new role in 2025 or something like that. <laughs> you know, in the meantime, you can just rework and retool all the old hot rods in the garage. Uh, no, man, it's fucking great. They're lucky to have you. I loved the the original. Um, I did get a chance to see it uh, in the original run, and it, it's truly beautiful. You guys did a, a great, great job. And, uh, yeah, New York is lucky to have you guys doing this. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. I'm glad you were like, I'm glad you got to see it. I'm I, like, that's wild. I know. I think about like all the people who are getting to like see it again. It's like, that's crazy. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm, but, I'm trying to talk them into letting me, uh, to getting some sort of recording so I can catch it. I'm, I'm stuck in Austin for the run, but I, I'm, I'm definitely excited for it to happen. I hope I get to see something. We'll just take it on the road. We'll come to you. There you go, dude. We'll, we'll, we'll cross promote a tour. There we go. I like that. <laughs> I was going to make a Dancing with the Stars joke mixed with this, but I was like, that's not. <laughs> oh, it would have been great. It would have come full circle to earlier. Um, well, I'm so glad that you took the time to talk to me, man. Uh, happy to have you on the show. As I uh, mentioned to everybody else, uh, we will do a full episode at some point where it's just me and you not talking exclusively about this if you're down. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, definitely ran the gamut. We got the longest one so far, so, you know. 
I can almost, talk. Yeah, almost a full episode. But we'll do it. We'll do it again. We'll probably do it this way. I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of Skype interviews with people uh, in this format since I'm down here. So um, love you, buddy, and thanks so much. Thank you for having me. This episode of At the Elephants was produced and recorded by Rob Morris and Kira Geiger in Austin, Texas and New York City, and as always, with music from Daniel Lamone and Max Stampa-Brown. 